Good afternoon. Thanks for once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll be having a look at our Harvard Business Review tips. Today, we're going to look at four steps to structure your team meeting better. But uh, right now, we're going to have a chat with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace about some of the mental issues that happen in the workplace. Good afternoon to you, Greg. G'day, Julian. Good to see you again. Yeah, thanks for joining us again. And uh, it was a very interesting show we did uh, about a month or a month and a half ago. Uh, So we thought we'd uh, have another look at that same uh, issue. Mm. Uh, And we frequently hear about the impact of mental health issues in the community and the increasing need for mental health services. Is mental health a significant issue in the workplace? Yes, Julian. Mental health issues are becoming an increasingly significant issue for all employers. Uh, And that's perhaps not surprising because workforces do reflect society at large and recent statistics cited by Beyond Blue show that one in five adults, that's 20% of the adult population, had experienced a mental health disorder in the last 12 months and that the same proportion of people will experience mental health difficulties such as depression, anxiety or substance misuse disorder in any year. So they're quite large numbers. Mm. Now, in many cases, mental health difficulties will arise from factors or causes outside the workplace, but factors such as bullying, whether it's real or perceived, discrimination, stress arising from, say, excessive workload or other work pressures, can also cause mental health issues in the workplace or make existing health issues worse. Now, we also know from the stats that mental health disorders have a significant effect, including disruption and damage to working relationships, absences from work, which incidentally was estimated at 6 million days lost each year, reduced productivity, and at the higher end of the spectrum, real and extensive disruption to work teams. And it's estimated that mental health issues cost the Australian economy $10.9 billion each year, quite apart from the human costs. So they're they're big numbers. That's a, a big impact. Well, they are big numbers. Are, are there any typical situations that might confront an employer? Yeah, there, there are. Um, so employers often become aware that an employee is suffering from a mental health condition in the context of workplace grievances or disputes between employees, uh, where a manager starts dealing with poor performance or unacceptable conduct. Uh, a complaint of bullying is made. And often in the case of a workers' comp claim being made as well. Now, the interesting thing about mental health issues is that often a single case will involve more than one of those sorts of situations, and it's not uncommon for some cases to involve all of them. Um, So, as you can see, these situations can become very complex and develop in unexpected and pretty much unpredictable ways. They can also take a long time and a lot of patience to deal with. One of the issues with mental health is that most people have very little experience in dealing with mental health issues and find themselves out of their depth very quickly. Uh, Many of us, certainly I do, find mental health issues confronting and frightening uh, and that immediately adds to the stress of dealing with the situation. And I might add that even those who are experienced in dealing with such situations can find them complex and frustrating. So, yeah, I mean, it is challenging. What approach should employers adopt to uh, help them deal with mental health issues when they arise? Um, Look, I think there's no one-size-fits-all approach to these situations because the circumstances and the the individuals involved differ so much. 
But I think there are some basic principles that we can distill that do need to be observed. So the first one that I would like to note is that people can and do work happily and effectively even if they are suffering from mental health conditions. So we shouldn't assume that if someone has a mental health issue, that means they can't work uh, at all or work effectively. The second one, I think, is that where mental health issues are raised, they must be taken seriously because of the potential consequences, human, business and legal consequences, of getting it wrong. Um, that's especially important, for instance, when mental health issues are raised for the first time, where the employer has initiated performance management or is dealing with a complaint of bullying. It can be very tempting for the employer just to see the mental health issues as an excuse or diversion. Um, well, that may be the case, but it can't be assumed and often isn't the case. The third um, principle, if you like, is really central and that's that mental health issues must be dealt with based on proper medical evidence, and that includes things like medical certificates and reports from appropriately qualified mental, uh, medical practitioners, like any other medical matter. Now, there can be a real temptation to indulge in a bit of pop psychology, you know, the, the sort of tag, oh, he's on the spectrum, um, or seek advice from Dr Google. You know, just, just don't do it. Um, you wouldn't do it with cancer or heart disease or a broken leg uh, for good reason. And doing it is fraught with danger. Um, I think one of the problems that leads to this is that unlike, say, a broken leg, it's not necessarily evident to an observer that a person is unwell if they're suffering from a mental health disorder. And even the professionals need to rely to a large extent, on self-reporting by the patient in making a diagnosis and deciding on treatment. So the other thing I think that's important is that we need to preserve the individual's dignity and act respectfully at all times, being aware of the significant impact that mental health conditions, conditions can have on the individual's perception of their self-worth and their perception of what's happening around them. And we need to not stigmatise mental health conditions. There's a lot of it around. We don't need to make it worse. And by the same token, employees need to understand that while they are in the workplace, they still need to be responsible and act appropriately and do what they need to do to comply with the appropriate workplace norms. We're talking with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace about mental health issues. Uh, Greg, we were just uh, talking about the uh, approach that employers should, should adopt and uh, you had a few more for us. Yeah, so carrying on on the evidence-based approach, it, it's important to get qualified medical opinion and certification, especially in regard to any restrictions on the duties for which an employee is or is not fit and the duration that such restrictions might last for. In that respect, it can actually be very useful to talk to the employee's treating medical practitioner once the employee gives you your written consent uh, for the practitioner to discuss their situation with you, of course. And that helps in two ways. One is you get a better feel for what it is that's going on for the employee. The other is that it provides the employee with an opportunity to provide some input and provide extra information about what, what's really going on and what situation the employee might be in. So, for instance, what the, um, exactly what the employee's duties involve, the sort of environment in which they work. Is it a team-based environment? Are they largely independent? All of those sorts of things. 
it's important to ask what the employee's current state of health might mean in terms of their ability to carry out those specific duties or participate in uh, processes such as performance management, which I've mentioned before, or participation in a workplace investigation. Now, moving on from that, uh, when an employer is considering whether an employee can return to work or continue to work in accordance with medical restrictions, it's really important to focus on the genuine inherent requirements of the position um, and avoid any knee-jerk reactions or, or just assumptions. Again, act only on evidence and fact. It may indeed be beneficial for both the business and the employee if the employee comes back to work on restricted duties, but it's not always practicable. Um, and that's something that you need evidence to sort out. Uh, the other thing that I think is really very important is that where a manager is providing or involved in dealing with uh, an employee with mental health issues, they need to be supported themselves. Um, as I've already said, dealing with these things can be really difficult. It can be confronting. And it's very important that the manager or the person dealing with it is supported. And that may mean giving them access to, um, say, psychologists who can give advice on how to deal with situations um, while maintaining their own mental health. Again, you can only work on what you know and what you have evidence for. If you suspect that someone's suffering from a mental health condition, but they refuse to disclose it, that's their right. We can't presume. Um, if their performance or conduct is inappropriate or unsatisfactory, it needs to be managed under the usual workplace processes bearing in mind the need to act fairly at all times until such time as this comes into play and we're told what's going on. And again, going back to what's becoming a, a strong theme, get professional advice mm. before you mm. act, especially if the proposed action might adversely affect the employee. So, so summing all of that up, I mean, what sort of exposures can an employer face if they don't handle such situations appropriately? Well, we'll go for a quick sprint through the minefield because it is one. Mm. Uh, first up, the obvious one, I suppose, is workers' comp claims uh, that could have been avoidable if the situation had been properly handled. Um, there can be discrimination complaints or claims to the Commonwealth Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission or the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board. There can be general protection claims to the Fair Work Commission uh, because of adverse action taken by the employer due to the employee suffering from a disability. There could be bullying claims under the Fair Work Act. Uh, in an extreme case, there may be unfair dismissal claims um, or unlawful termination claims. And there can also, of course, be complaints to WorkSafe New South Wales, that used to be known as WorkCover, because this is ultimately a, a work health and safety issue. And of course, that gives rise to the risk of prosecutions for breach of the Work Health mm. and Safety Act. Mm. So, yep, it, there's a, a fair degree of angst involved in all of this and a lot of things that can go wrong. So uh, I suppose the big question comes that you keep we keep mentioning uh, seek professional advice. Uh, are there any sources of assistance that employers can call on if they're facing a mental health issue in their workplace? Look, there's a variety of really useful sources of assistance. Um, there are some really great websites, um, particularly government websites or those for reputable organisations um, that can provide information and point you in the direction of further help. Uh, just a few, Beyond Blue, uh, Heads Up. 
which gives individuals and businesses free tools and resources to take action in improving mental health in the workplace. There's Lifeline. Mm. Um, the Australian Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission um, has a publication, Workers with Mental Illness, a Practical Guide for Managers. There are also a number of uh, psychologists who practice extensively in, in the area of workplace mental health. Now, some large organisations have employee assistance programs. If an organisation is not bigger, big enough to have their own, they can still call on some of these um, psych practices who will be able to provide them with assistance and advice on how to deal with these sorts of situations and provide support for the people who are dealing with them. Well, great. Well, thanks very much again for outlining those uh, important issues that we could face, which often we sweep under the carpet. And uh, maybe we'll have a chat again another time. Be happy to do so, Julian. It, it is a minefield for employers. Thank you. Greg Kerr, they're helping us to understand mental health issues in the employment workplace. Well, now we've got uh, time for one of our Harvard uh, Business Review tips. And this one here is four steps to structure your team meetings better. Well, let's be honest. Most meetings are a waste of time, especially if they aren't well designed. Next time you lead a team meeting, take the time to carefully structure it so that the duration and content align with the objective. So first of all, define the work of the team. What specifically do you and the attendees need to accomplish? Secondly, divide agenda items into categories. We aren't good at changing the pace or tenor of a conversation once it starts, so don't try to combine different types of discussions. Instead, categorise similar items together. If necessary, create other meetings to address other types of conversations. Thirdly, determine the length. Figure out how much time you need, based on a fair estimate of how long each agenda item will take, plus, of course, a little padding. Don't let your calendar app decide the length. If you only need 15 minutes, don't schedule 30. And finally, plan for overflow. If you run out of time, don't cram agenda items into the end of the meeting. Set up a time to address topics you don't get to, which may only require a subset of the group. So interesting points there because those team meetings often don't get on track and it's interesting that that talks about, you know, what's the purpose of this meeting? Let's decide up front. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've specifically looked at uh, mental health issues in the workplace, which are, I've been very, very important. And in a moment, Dave Cochran will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk with patent attorney Lester Miller, have a minute on innovation with Christina Jerichaitis, and, of course, some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again at the same time for business, the law, and you. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week, and as Albert Einstein once said, the important thing is not to stop questioning.